Hi, Marcel. Welcome to the Season as a Reason podcast. It's great to see you to be in conversation. Um, this evening, uh, we'll be kind of exploring racism. Um, I kind of was thinking before we wrote a chapter in that book that I edited that was published in 2013. And, you know, we've been working in the same arena um, mm. for years. So it's not as though we're coming at this um, as strangers, um, but it's really useful for the listeners to kind of hear your thinking on some things. And, you know, one of the striking things about you and Suman Fernando and you know myself and many others is that we can see today in the context of some history including the bits that we've lived but also the bits prior that we've researched and studied um so I was kind of very interested uh in your perspectives really because it gives it that bigger context as well as the depth yeah. so the kind of first thing I thought um would be really useful for our listeners to hear um is your take on racism in mental health or racism in psychiatry because there's a lot of um, talk and a lot written about racism in psychiatry and you know kind of wondered do you think that's a legitimate claim? Yeah it's interesting Harry you're right yeah we, we are, we're both very old hands at this um, um, and in terms of um, racism in psychiatry so obviously a kind of long-standing long-standing kind of connection really between the idea of kind of you know groups in society being racialized or othered or if in various ways seen as kind of um, um, abnormal, not not the norm, all of those kind of aspects which go along with with, with racism in terms of othering and, and the kind of negating the other and all of that and you know the, the idea of, of of that kind of um, 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 kind of kind of kind of outside of the, of the norm um, um, potentially quite threatening kind of other is quite fundamental to mental health anyway as well in terms of the idea of it being you know people who receive a diagnosis which in some way characterizes their behavior as outside of the norm and you know over history there's been in various ways lots of kind of negative associations with that which we don't necessarily need to go into but I think so uh, the reason why I'm kind of kind of kind of starting there really is because right from its kind of conception you have uh, 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 this this kind of association in a quite a deep way between um kind of kind of racialization racism in terms of being othered and um, and mental illness um and you know you've got all of the kind of history of psychiatry itself in terms of you know what people fall within who falls within who are more likely to fall within those categories who's deemed to be kind of dangerous or potentially threatening and all of that so I do think there's a, a, a quite a long history of a link in that respect. But in terms of, if you like, on a more everyday level, um, 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 in terms in terms of the capacity of um, psychiatry to understand its client group, understand the people it's working with, which are predominantly black, in terms of people who experience the more kind of severe end of the mental health system, um, the real question is, the extent to which psychiatry itself is as an institution is a is a representation of the wider society in itself which you know there is inherent racism within that kind of structured and configured in society and so by virtue of being a kind of aspect of society psychiatry will kind of carry those same kind of kind of racist kind of systems and dynamics within it um but also, um, the, the, you know, bearing that in mind, the real question, I think, is the extent to which psychiatry has or hasn't, and I contend it hasn't, grappled with this in a direct way in terms of its own history, in terms of it being, you know, a part of a kind of wider society where there is 
racism embedded within it and how psychiatry is part of all of that uh, kind of reproduces and 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 reinforces and perpetuates perpetuates racism um and i think the evidence of the case for saying that psychiatry on a systemic level hasn't grappled with that is that we still see both the massive uh, kind of disparities in relation to people who who are who are sections which you know some would argue is because there are wider drivers that are affecting kind of why black people experience more severe mental health more so than others but I think also in terms of the experience, the kind of reports, the reported experience of black people who experience the psychiatric system, um, um, you know, you don't necessarily get a kind of very positive story, uh, you know, in terms of the extent to which psychiatric services are able to be built around their needs, understand the experience of living as a black person and, and growing and, and experiencing the UK in that way, that these sorts of things aren't necessarily in the bones of psychiatry. So I guess... The simple answer is that on whatever, from whatever angle you look at it, from that kind of historical root of psychiatry itself, to psychiatry being a manifestation of a broader racist society, um, or the extent to which psychiatry has gone through that self-reflection and insight and understanding about its own role in pe perpetuating this stuff, I think on all of those fronts, psychiatry has got, you know, it's, it's got a lot of work to do. Um, and you know, it, it 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 is a it is a kind of um, 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 I suppose a, a kind of particular place where a lot of this stuff plays out because of all those kind of overlapping overlapping factors and, and sort of components. Yeah, I mean that's really helpful, and I was listening very keenly because I noticed you spoke a lot about the kind of structural and institutional um, manifestations, really, of that racism, and you know, often when people hear you know, the, the discussions about racism in psychiatry, it sounds, their responses sound as if they think we're saying that psychiatrists are racist. Um, and I didn't hear you say, I didn't hear you say that. I kind of heard you talk about the kind of history, the way it's evolved, the, the kind of, yeah, the structural stuff. I've been thinking recently um, about a term I've kind of been researching to see if I can find anyone else who's used it, which is racist processing. So there's a lot about like racist thinking or kind of you know, individual forms of racism. But the reason why I've kind of thought of racist processing is because actually the racism that manifests particularly interpersonally is often not just what people think, but because we're embodied people, it's the way we respond to other bodies like you know black bodies create something visceral um in people and also there's a kind of emotional disruption um so it isn't just a cognitive thing it's like this entire processing and i think that's a really useful for me way of understanding what happens so whereas you kind of spoke about the things woven into structures i think it kind of probably comes from this racist processing that means you know the policies and even a notion of this split between what happens in people's heads and what goes on in society is a result of racist processing because it's not really taking full account of people's social circumstances. So yeah, I kind of wondered, having said all of that, whether or not you think as well as the structural, there are interpersonal forms of racism in the discipline. I mean, I think this, this, this comes to the idea of what we mean when we use the term racism because we think of it as a, as, a, as a spectrum where you have a range of manifestations 
the intentional intentionality bit where it's like you know it's a kind of it's a kind of verb a doing word as it were in terms of somebody being racist is only one one slice or one one component of that broad spectrum and you know in in, in other aspects in other ways that racism manifests it is it isn't necessarily down to what somebody's intending it is to do with if you like how we are configured as especially as grown-ups who have you know you, you've gone through your childhood you've kind of formed in terms of your, your identity and how you see understand and experience the world and if you think about that as being if you like configured into a, into a particular individual your history and your experience is going to inform that and given that you know we do we are we are social creatures we live in it we live in a world that that is already in existence we kind of dropped into it it's got to form and shape and influence who we become and so if you think about racism in that respect as a process a way in which we both experience and manifest our surroundings through our behavior through our perceptions through how we understand all of that is is it doesn't happen in a vacuum and it doesn't happen in a kind of abstracted separated way it's embedded and enmeshed in the world and if and if we understand that then we understand that if 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 there are these biases that pre-exist in the world then they by virtue of us being of the world they have to be in us too and that's where you get into racism as a non-intended thing it's it's a manifestation of existing and being in in the world and you know by that token, just because you're black, you're not separated from it. You know, as black people, we would be imbibing those same biases and prejudices as well. They will have a different consequence or a different or a different impact or a different manifestation because of the fact that you are a black person in the world. But it's not like somehow this is all something that white people deal with and black people don't, or black people are the victims of in some separated way. It's all all enmeshed. And the the, the thing about that is that. Um, 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 if we think about how, as an example, to kind of illustrate this, that it, it, it like emerges within a within a kind of mental health psychiatric context, the idea of um, of what is deemed to be normal, um, 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 ideal, appropriate ways of thinking, behaving, um, what would be deemed to be um, outside of what's defined as a as a as a, as a as a mental health diagnosis, what is within that camp, what's without that camp, all of those things again, they don't happen. They they don't emerge from a vacuum. They emerge from con from a context and a history. And if our sense of what is normal is informed by a set of a set of social and cultural experiences, which have a particular historical relationship to people of color, then those those definitions themselves are also going to be racialized. So, you know, um, if, you, if, if you think about um, the way that, um, let's say, for example, this, uh, this good example, there's a lot of evidence around the fact that if you think about a therapeutic encounter between a counsellor and, and, a, and, a, and a patient or a client, there's a lot of research that talks about the fact that, especially where you have a um, black client and a white therapist, there is this kind of almost like a, a kind of collusion between them where things about racialized experiences of the client, which may be informing the reasons why they've sought therapy, are often not spoken about in an explicit way, because there is a kind of un, uh, an implicit, almost unconscious um, um, assumption on the part of the black client that 
we don't talk about these sorts of things around white people. That's not a space. That, that sort of space is not where because there's not an expectation that it's going to be a shared experience. And it's just something as a kind of normal way of behaving and being in the world that you're used to having certain conversations in certain contexts than not having certain conversations in other contexts. But by the same token, either because it isn't brought up um, directly, the, um, uh, and also because the the, the race aspect is something that white people learn also not to kind of talk about or refer to because it's kind of not not the normal thing that that you don't necessarily broach that with black people on that front as well there's also a a, a non-referring to it so you have this kind of kind of kind of unconsciously colluded blind spot where this aspect about race which may be quite critical for the situation isn't brought into the encounter now the responsibility there the power there clearly lies with the therapist so you arguably it's the therapist's job, part of what their job would be to kind of bring out all of those kind of hidden underlying components within that encounter. Now that applies to a counseling context, which may be more about psychology, but in psychiatry, it's also germane because if you're going to be trying to understand what's going on for somebody in order to make a diagnosis, you have to be able to tap into what's going on with them. But if the way that you engage them and the way that you, you utilize your power in that situation is not enabling you to bring out those experiences, it means that the outcome of what you do, the decisions that you take, are going to be affected by race, but in a way that you won't see, because the effect is not an active thing where race has been explicitly a feature of the situation. It's almost affected by race, by race not being an explicit feature of the situation, when actually it should have been, because it's part of the story. So what I'm saying is that race can, race can impinge in a way that is both non-intended, invisible, is... Is and 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 non-active insofar as it as the emission or the obscuring or the conscious attempt to not look and address the racial aspect is itself racist. So you know it 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 can be a passive thing as much as an active thing to be racist. If if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm smiling because um. So you may remember me talking about toxic interaction theory and, um, you know, in fact, I'm updating and uh, even by the time this goes out, there'll be a new version of it. And it maps out exactly that process of non-validation that you're talking about. Um, and kind of one of the points I make in the book is that, it's just a short handbook, is that whereas you said, um, you know, it may well be that racism is a feature in what caused someone to seek help. Sometimes it is but even the person seeking help isn't aware of that because they have got this racist processing where they accept those as kind of part of their experiences, whether it's a lower sense of self-worth or you know, a legacy in their family or their life of you know, having poor educational interactions with the criminal justice system that then spirals into something that means they seek help. Mm. They might not even be able to conceptualize that as part of the same thing that by being born into the color skin they're born into, there's an increased likelihood that they'll be in the situation. So yeah, neither the person nor the professional in that context probably even realizes the pervasiveness of racism in what's being presented. And this, this is one of the real problems about trying to do, uh, as an, from an organizational point of view, or even, even in terms of trying to understand what's going on within a particular um, 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 group or community trying to do research into people's experiences of racism because by the very fact that you conceive of it in that way it it kind of it kind of closes down the lens to focus on 
what you already can see and know and, and have identified as experiences of racism. And actually, my contention is that that aspect of racism is like the tip of the iceberg and race, the, the bulk of the iceberg underneath the water is all of the lived experience of racism that is not about what you consciously receive, you know. And, you know, for example, just because, you know, you, you could you could grow and, and, and you could you could grow and live your life in this country as a black person without every, anybody actually using a racial epithet towards you. Well, that doesn't mean that you have not experienced racism because it can it's, it's a formative thing in your life. And I think this is why it doesn't really make a lot of sense for people to get. It's understandable why people might get defensive in the way that you're saying about, you know, people might hear it in terms of psychiatrists themselves are racist. It, it makes sense because this is a very this is a very visceral thing that in one way or another we are all connected to. But in another way, it doesn't make sense because it 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 it, it almost reduces and and limits the reality of what racism is to think about it just in terms of those kind of you know sort of linear interactive interaction inter, um, um, and transactional terms. It's not just about that. Um, and I think the more we are able to kind of loosen our, our 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 understanding of how racism is a feature of the world in which we live, and by that we mean that you know bias in in favour of and against individuals, certain individuals is part of that. Then I, I think the the the, the easier it will be to, to kind of understand the, the tentacles of this, how it kind of is riven into everything. And that's actually one of the reasons why I think the the, the 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 whole notion of white privilege is quite useful because what it does is it alerts you to the fact that you know th th there there are we 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 are very familiar with thinking about racism in terms of those who are negatively impacted people of color and black people in particular, but racism also has beneficiaries which are white people. I mean, you know, it, it, the the point is is that you cannot understand inequality by just looking at the people who are on the kind of negative side of that inequality. You can't have inequality without having beneficiaries. They go hand in hand. You know, I'm a man. I benefit from being a man in terms of that being a socially constructed reality. And women don't benefit. Now, you know, of course, in a linear sense, there are individual examples for that in various ways that may seem like they don't follow that norm. But that doesn't dispel the broader social fact that that's how the world is configured. So, you know, it, it is about trying to understand this as something which is not just about a, a singular, um, 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 individualized, um, 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 explicit set of behaviors that somebody does in a kind of intended way. No, and um, that's uh, really, really helpful. So, um, a, a dear colleague of mine, um, was part of the ASAP studies. Um, as you know, in the 2000s, there are quite a few papers that were kind of looking at those. And I think there was a 2005 version. Um, and I think um, Claudia Cooper was the lead um, author on that paper, but there are kind of several of them. And in one of those, they referred to the fact that people from black and other minority backgrounds had said that they thought discrimination was a factor, but they hadn't cited racism. And I remember at the time drawing attention to precisely what you're saying, which, well, a number of factors. One is, it depends who's asking the question as to what response you're gonna yeah. get. But also there will be these diffuse forms of racism that people 
won't even be able to identify for themselves. And I really like the clarity with which you just said that, that you know, the research that's looking for examples of racism um, often won't find it because the lens has been narrowed down. And in the Toxic Interaction um, Theory 2021 book, I've got a pyramid and it's got a red like triangle at the very top of the pyramid, which is the you know, visible and offensive forms of racism. That's the police officer kneeling on someone's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds version of racism that most people can see. Um, but then the other layers include um, the visible but tolerated, mm. which I think is like the inequalities we've seen in mental health that there's been no proportionate response to that. There's the visible but considered inconsequential, which is just the kind of banter and the assumptions they might make about, well, you know, Harry, you can start the party, you're probably a good dancer, and people can't really see that there's anything wrong with kind of making those. And then at the very base is the invisible, and that's the stuff that's woven into things like the very model of psychiatry yeah. um, that still you know, has its legacy in locating a problem inside someone's head um, with insufficient balance looking at the social world in which they live. So that's the kind of pyramid um, that I think reflects very much of what you've been saying. The way, the way I, tend, I tend to think, think of this, it, it, it is, I think it's quite a good analogy, is, that, is the distinction between the weather and climate. So you think about, you know, the, the weather is something that happens on a kind of explicit day-to-day -day level. It's, you know, you stick your head out the windows, it's raining. Is it the, so it's almost like the, the, the bit you see, the intended bit, and those bit, the weather is critical to your day-to-day -day lived experience in the same way that if that somebody abusing you because of your race is going to be extremely important to your well-being. But if you, if, if you want to understand the, 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 the weather beyond what's happening today outside, you have to start thinking about climate and climate is something which is which is what's really important in terms of what's really happening but it's a bit that isn't necessarily seen because what you see is the weather and it's possible for example with climate that on a longer term trajectory the globe might be warming but the weather today can be freezing so you have both a relationship between the two but if you observe it in any particular moment, you could perceive it as a separation between the two. And it's very easy to confuse weather and climate. But if you do, you'll invariably misunderstand it. Because if you think that, you know, because we have like a, a, a cold snap in the middle of April in the UK, therefore there isn't global warming, that confusion between weather and climate is giving you a totally, total, a total misunderstand, misunderstanding of what's actually happening underneath. And so I think, you know, at the same time with all of that, weather is not inconsequential because it matters because you've got to know to a second umbrella or not. So you need that, but don't misunderstand that as what's actually happening on a bigger picture. And if you confuse it, then, you know, the planet could be destroyed by global warming. Meanwhile, you think, oh, it's a bit shitty today. You have a mis you know, misconception. So I, th I, think, I think that kind of distinction is quite similar to what we're, to what we're talking about. And it's a cul-de-sac that, you know, it, it might be, it might be in some ways desirable and comfortable to keep the focus on the weather because it's what you can see and what you can know. And if you think about, you know, one of the questions that you raise about, you know, where do we go with this? What, what do we do about this? It's a lot easier to focus on the weather because all you've got to do with the weather is, is make some minor adjustments to your behavior, um, you know, take an umbrella, take a coat, don't take a coat. The solutions are 
helpful in the context of keeping you dry or keeping you cool, but they're not really going to change the fundamental climate. And you have to be clear, if what you're addressing is the weather and you're trying to tackle that, then that's fine. But let's be honest and clear that that's what we're doing. If you want to address the climate, then you have to come with some different solutions that may look like they're at odds with your responding to the weather, if, if you see what I mean. So, you know, that kind of distinction but interconnection is, is I think, is a quite a useful way to kind of capture what we're yeah. trying to hold here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember when when we were both kind of really in the cut and thrust of um, mental health and, you know, there was all this conversation about, well, we've got a few more Asian psychiatrists now and we've got, you know, one or two, you know, Black African and Black Caribbean psychiatrists and, you know, psychologists and it was changing and that was kind of symbolic of, okay, we're post kind of racial conversations because, you know, surely their presence is going to change things. Um, but, but, but as you say, that might attend to the immediate and visible stuff. But yeah, the, the theories and ideas that inform the professions. And, you know, we, I talk about those professions, but it's the mental health system in its broader sense are still well, there. Well, you know, you, 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 you have, you, you, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a psychiatrist, and I say psychiatry in, in particular because, you know, it's a medical profession, it, it's, it's, it's quite established and it's, uh, as a medical profession, it's quite robust in terms of, the, of you know, the prospect of it, of it um, 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 kind of adjusting and moving and changing and, and, and reconfiguring. I think that it, 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 it's a particular challenge there. I mean, the challenge with any profession, but I think when you talk about the medical professions, it's particularly the case because there's this notion that that the rationale and opinion them is science, not necessarily the kind of the kind of social socially constructed reality of what they are. So you've got all of, all of that which we're up against. But I do think that you know the idea of kind of uh, kind of putting a few more people of color within the profession itself. Um, again, you know, it, it, it you know, produce it. I'm, I'm sure it can produce some changes here and there, and some kind of marginal changes. But if ultimately they're still steeped and they're still they still move through the same processes and systems, and they're still still operating from the same kind of conceptual basis, then actually, again, we change the weather, the appearance. We haven't changed the climate. We haven't 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 really substantively changed it. And you know, it, it's 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 alluring to think that well, you know, we just get a few more black and brown faces and kind of job done and you know, again, not to dismiss that because it's a necessary step, but, you know, we have to be realistic about the fact that, you know, in the absence of anything else, at best, that brings in a, brings in a, a broader lived experience amongst the professionals, which itself is good, but at worst, what that does is, is give the pretense of actually having more of a solution than what actually is the, is the, is the, is the, is the reality. You know, just because, just because somebody... Um, as it, is it from a particular cultural racial background doesn't necessarily speak to what they're going to bring into their job yeah true so what would be um kind of drawing us because we've kind of um had the luxury of critiquing and you know listeners will often kind of say okay yeah that's all very well um you know you can tear down you can deconstruct but like how do we attend to the climate how do we attend to the bigger systemic and structural racist inequalities in mental health and in psychiatry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, 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 uh, it's tricky in so far as uh, I feel quite split on this because I, I do think that, um, you know, to, to, to a certain extent, the easy solution is, is to kind of do what people like us have been doing for a lot of years, you know, you're, you're lobbying in different ways and trying to kind of put pressure on systems and calling things out and all the rest of it. 
but fundamentally the kind of the kind of um 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 how can i put it i'm not i'm not enti- i'm not entirely convinced that that is going to be transformative in so far as um um there isn't really a reason to do things differently you know it, it kind of relies on goodwill in a sense of kind of convincing people of what's right and given all that we've talked about so far the implication of all of that is that this isn't just a consequence of people choosing to operate in certain ways there's a there's a lot more going on in terms of why um 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 um, um it's maintained in the way it is um how what 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 function it starts to serve because once you have a kind of system and people become um 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 embedded in that system as practitioners and professionals then you have all various kind of vested interests and in keeping things going in that way so you know I, i'm although although i you know the kind of idea about being an activist and it's something that i've you know obviously i'm i've, I've got a lot of personal history with that and i do think it can it can raise consciousness i'm not convinced how, trans- how transformative it could be, because I don't think it really dismantles and redistributes power that sustains it. So I'm torn in that respect because I think it's I think it's it's necessary but not enough. I think probably the 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 other side of what needs to happen is almost a, a, a um. A, not not necessarily investing all of the solutions about what is um, 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 good and appropriate and helpful for people's mental health in the existing systems, albeit trying to reconfigure them. I think there's there's probably something about being creative um, of looking for solutions outside of the system, thinking about um, um, ways in which new forms of therapy and new approaches to doing mental health support can be done um, 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 from from within communities themselves thinking about um, um, you know what what does mental wellness look like and how is that fostered and sustained um, almost almost kind of starting again and starting outside of the current constructs of mental health um, systems and services um, you know, there's there's there is example there is there are examples of this work happening. Um, you know, there's work being done now in Wandsworth around looking at how um, um, you know you, you can have a, have kind of adult adult support services where people are um, um, kind of have a have a destination to be discharged into once they come off a mental health section. Whereby one of the challenges is that unless people have a social support around them, they often end up in that revolving door scenario where they're kind of drawn back into services because their mental health deteriorates. Now, um, um, thinking about what support needs to be in place around people to receive them out of men- um, um, mental health inpatient settings, um, to have uh, destinations in the community, have families, such families that people can be discharged into. Um, if they don't have their own, it's just an example of where you can start to have solutions to this that can emerge from outside of the current mental health construct. And that can be a, 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 a kind of starting point for other things you might want to do. You know, you might want to train up train up therapeutic services that are embedded in churches, in mosques, in gurdwaras, in different kind of community, community settings that hopefully can mean that people's mental health can be managed in a way that doesn't deteriorate so i suppose any one of these solutions by themselves are going to face cha- face challenges but i i do think that 
the solution has to fundamentally be outside of what we currently have. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting hearing you um, because, of course, I'm I'm split uh, in different ways because, of course, I think in a crisis, people need support and benefit from you know wraparound to get them through. But I also think that society itself needs to be restructured um, because whilst we still have these drivers that we started talking about, we're still going to be having that need to be supported and working with individuals. So my, my bigger goal is how can we you know, help to restructure society so there's far fewer cases where people break under the weight of it, really? I mean, I think, I think, I think one of the things, one of, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm optimistic, and maybe it's an age thing, you know, you, you, after a certain point in time, you start to see new waves of understanding and, and, and response to problems that have been there from when, you, you know, from, 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 well, for generations, really. And, and, I, and if, I, if I think, look about a lot of this kind of, the various social movements that are kind of present now and how that's, a lot of that's been driven by, driven by the capacity to communicate rapidly around the world through information technology and social media and the like. You know, I think there's a lot of potential to do things differently and to think differently and to have different ways of engaging and and fomenting different understandings than there has been in the past um and i think um in terms of that kind of wider social social reality you know a lot of the a lot of the the, the, kind, the kind of activism of younger people i think is it, it, starting to open up some of those new new possibilities i do think that um you know the whole idea of, about white people being very unfamiliar with thinking about their own own the, the, their racial 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 positioning as white people. Um, I mean, as black as black people born into the UK, for example, by the virtue of being being born into society and grown in society, you know what it is to be white. You know because you've imbibed that in every aspect of your child from being a born into it. You you know it. So. As a black person, you know what it is to be black because you're living that. You know what it, is, what it is to be white because that's your reality. White people don't have that. White people, I'm generalizing, in, 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 but in terms of following through the logic of what I'm saying, know what it is to be white, don't know what it is to be black. Now, in crude terms, that reality, I think, is a lot more, is a lot truer and more concrete the older you are. I think the younger you are, there's a, I'm not saying it's complete by any means but there's a greater degree of blending and exchange and flow of insights experiences perspectives and sharing across those kind of dimensions and so i do think that um um the the, the way that we've tended to be in these kind of social camps and that is your prism through which you relate to the world and you know the since how george floyd's kind of um, a murder and all of the kind of insights from that and a lot of white people's awakening that actually black people you this is what you have to live with and the kind of surprise about all of that i think i think as 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 as, as those kind of flows of insights and knowledge because of you know younger people and the kind of new technologies and all of that stuff as that comes to the fore i see that opening up new ways of thinking about and understanding this stuff which isn't so located in those traditional ways of experiencing the world that most of us have grown up with certainly of our generation so i'm optimistic in that sense. i don't know where it's going to go 
Um, I don't think, I'm not under no illusion to think it's all just going to be kind of transformed and everybody is kind of in a place where they've got total 360 degree insight. And um, no, it's not that. But I do think that there is a there is a, an opportunity that comes with that to start to um, um, grapple with and understand and appreciate the reality of these forms of inequality that are quite enmeshed in society and to kind of own one's own positioning within that in a way that, you know, doesn't produce a kind of reactionary defensiveness where, you know, it, it, it starts to become so uncomfortable and difficult for a white person to accept that by virtue of being white, you are privileged in this world. You know, I think the prospect of being able to accept that reality, to grapple with what it means, and to try and operate from a different place based on that insight, I think there's a lot more opportunities around that for younger people to, to kind of do, do that. You know, people of our generation are relatively set in our ways, I think. And although you can have a kind of intellectual and conceptual grasp of this from having a discussion, I think we're so you're so immersed and embedded in it that it's hard to kind of uncouple yourself from that from your own history as black and white people around this. So I'm optimistic. I don't have all the answers in terms of where it will go, but I do I do think that there is um there are opportunities that there hasn't been before around this. Thanks, thanks, um, Marcel. It's a, a beautiful way to end because you know what I often kind of say is whilst we seek solutions through the individual route, we'll struggle. And what you were describing is um, like this kind of collective activity and that it doesn't even need to be like a formal education. You know, once we get to a point where we're interacting as human beings and are more interfaces with difference, we just imbibe a greater degree of knowledge and awareness. Yeah. And I, I was really struck listening to you in um, Daryl Wing's book, um, Race Talk, where as one of the kind of guides for what you might do differently in the kind of self-help part was just like you know go to different bars go to different restaurants you know, check out colleagues um you know who you just don't have networks with because they're from a different racialized background to you start to get to know them and just that kind of extending of the tentacles into different places um if everybody engaged in that activity it would disrupt our sense of norms like for us as individuals but collectively uh, and yeah maybe that is kind of part of that process of then disrupting those norms in our institutions. Um, so that's a really helpful insight. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, in simple in simple terms, um, it, it is about getting get, get, getting past the fear and and the the, the the personal challenge of what it means to really un understand this, because you know it, it it produces a lot of defensiveness in terms of um, um, not what as a white person not wanting to own and recognize your own location in this stuff because that, you know, to, 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 to believe that somehow you are you are part of this kind of oppressive system is difficult to, 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 to take on. And as black people as well, you know, to, the, the, the wearing reality of having to kind of contend with this as part of your lived experience on a day-to-day -day level itself, it's, it's, it's grinding. And, you know, it, all of these have consequences. And, and, I, and I think that, in some in some ways, a, a part of a, a, a mental a task of mental health, and this is one of the reasons why I, I am quite critical of psychiatry, because I think, or, or, well, not just psychiatry, but mental health, mental health systems in general, is because there is something about like a, it's a litmus test. If 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 if, 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 the, if the profession itself doesn't have front and center 
the wearing, ongoing, debilitating effects of racism on somebody's well-being, then it's it's not really doing it's not fit for purpose, not doing its job because because that is fundamental. And then for white people as well, in terms of this denial aspect as well, grappling with what race means for everybody in their different ways is fundamental to um, 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 mental good mental health and mental wellness. And the extent to which this isn't present within within um, uh, psychiatric support is the extent to which that, uh, and mental health support, is the extent to which that mental health support is in a state of denial itself. So if that's where it's coming from, then it's hardly in a fit position to help somebody else. If itself is kind of hamstrung by the very things that are creating problems for the people that it's 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 seen as clients. So yeah, uh, for me, a litmus test going forward is barometer as to how well we do on this is the extent to which these issues are front and center within the kind of therapeutic exchange in whatever that comes, however that comes about, be it therapy, talking therapies, be it determining whether somebody kind of needs some kind of medication or not, it should be part of that picture. And if it isn't, then, you know, that tells us that we are not in the right place in terms of where our professions are. Superb, thank you. Um, yeah, literally, literally, I'm in the middle of writing and documenting using the similar language to what you've just used. Um, so it's just really, really reassuring to hear. It kind of feels like an affirmation, really, mm. that I'm on the right track, um, because that's exactly um, what I've been saying. So um, thank you so much, uh, Marcel Vich, for you know, giving us your insights and you know so many rich ideas in there. Um, thank you. Thanks for having me, Ari. Marcel's critique of psychiatry was rooted very much in that view going back in history, um, which I thought was really, really helpful. Um, but bringing it into, well, away from the kind of institutional perspectives into the interpersonal, in the relationships between, as he said, whether it be a therapist or you know someone administering injection, any professional in direct service provision, he made that point that if we fail to incorporate an understanding of racism in that context, then we're denying something which will be having a very palpable impact on the lives of people from racialized backgrounds. And, you know, Moss also spoke about that kind of invisibility of it. And I really liked where he mentioned that, you know, research that seeks to, to capture evidence of the impact of racism in people's lives will often focus on the kind of visible and identifiable forms of racism. And as we both discussed, many ways in which racism manifests in people's lives aren't those things that are obvious, aren't those things that have been directly targeted at them. Often it will be the absence, the absence of people like them in particular places where power is held. It might be the absence of knowledges that reflect who they are in education. That kind of invisibility shapes people's experiences and is often not incorporated into the formulations between that person and professionals with whom they come into contact. Um, so it was really valuable having that conversation with Marcel. Continue to check out the Seasoning, the Reason and the podcast on your favorite app. Uh, search Harry Sewell, Seasoning, the Reason and podcast, and you'll find the whole series there.